I'm really excited to be here this morning and get to share what God's put on my heart. But I wanted to make sure to introduce myself because I know I don't know everyone in the room. And so I thought I would do that classic thing that pastors do where they show a picture of their wife and their kids and their cute little dog. And so I took out my phone and started scrolling through and I realized that um, I don't have any of those things. And so instead I thought I would bring a different photo of something else that I love. And so this is the photo I brought to share with you today. It's a photo of me at Cracker Barrel. The other thing that I love the most is Jesus, my mama, and then Cracker Barrel. So um, this is my first time trying the fried chicken sandwich. As you can see, it was a 10 out of 10 experience for me. Um, My love, obsession, whatever you want to call it with Cracker Barrel, really started back in high school. I grew up in a small town called Dublin, Georgia, which you might know because you've stopped to pee there on the way to Savannah on I-16. There's not a lot to do. And so me and my mom just went to Cracker Barrel every single Sunday when I was in high school. It kind of became this little weekly tradition that we had. And so I tried to take it with me to college. I went to the University of Georgia, go dog Sikkim. That's right. I tried to take it to college with me, but my friends realized that our wallets were a lot more thin than our stomachs and our hearts. And so it became a monthly tradition instead. But it's funny looking at that picture because Cracker Barrel really has been one of those consistent things in every season of my life. Even though the company and the people around the table are different, it's still the same Cracker Barrel. In fact, I still get the exact same thing because you're dying to know, I'll tell you. I get the grilled chicken, mac and cheese, fried okra, at least three biscuits, apple butter jelly, and a sweet tea. It's amazing. And so in every season of my life, yeah, it feels a little bit different, but it's honestly kind of the same. And you know, you know this feeling because we have experiences like that all the time. For example, how many of you have ever had cilantro? Raise your hand if you've had cilantro before. Okay, great. Keep your hand up if you like the taste of cilantro. Okay, fair. Keep your hand up if you think cilantro tastes like soap. Okay, yes, we got some people. That's amazing. That's where I'm at. And I don't know what it is. It's the same exact thing, but for whatever reason, it tastes different to me. I don't know. Another one is the classic dress that broke the internet in 2015. You might remember this. How many of you see black and blue when you look at this dress? Okay, fellow carrot eaters, that's amazing, amazing. How many of you see white and gold? Wow, that's a lot of you. I just like, I don't believe you. Like I just simply, I just don't know. I've tried, I really have. It just isn't, it's, it's blue and black is just the correct answer. I have one more for you, it's a sound. And so you're gonna have to listen carefully. And so we're gonna play the sound, we'll play it twice. And I want you to think about what you hear. So go ahead and play that sound. Laurel. Laurel. Okay. How many of you heard Laurel? Great. How many of you heard Yanny? What? You're like, you heard what now? All right, it's going to get crazy. So look at the one that you didn't hear. And we're going to play the sound again. Go ahead and play it. Laurel. Isn't that crazy? I could literally talk about stuff like this all day long because it is wild to me that we live in the exact same world and yet we experience it so differently. It's true about the things that we see and that we hear and that we taste, but it's also true about the lives that we live. And so this morning we're starting a brand new series that's called Same But Different. And over the next three weeks, you're gonna hear three different stories from three different people Myself this week, our friend April Farmer next week, and we're going to finish up with our lead pastor, Rahul. And what you'll notice as you're listening to our stories is that while they are very different, there are pieces of it that are the same. Because the same author wrote the stories, that God is the same that wrote all three of our stories. But what's interesting is that the way that I relate to God, the relationship I have with God, 
is different than the one that April and Rahul have with God because my life has looked different. And when we listen to other people's stories, we actually can begin to piece together a more complete picture of who God really is. And that's really our hope for you in this series. Maybe you'll relate to something that I say or April or Rahul says that, that will encourage you. But more so than that, I would love if you walked away with a more complete understanding of who God is and how much he loves you. And so I'm gonna tell you a little bit of my story this morning, but I wanna tee it up with a question. And I feel a little invasive, so just prepare yourselves. This is the question I have for you. Has your life gone the way you planned? <laughs> There's like this like nervous laughter I can feel in the room. Of course not. We all have like plans and hopes and dreams of how our life is supposed to go. And even if you're not like a five-year or 10-year plan to success kind of person, you have some sort of picture of what you want your life to look like. For some of you, maybe that's a career. And you thought you would have some sort of career and, and that's just not the one that you're in. Or maybe there was a promotion that you thought you were gonna get that you didn't. Certainly you never planned to lose your job due to COVID or, or any other circumstance. Related to that, maybe it's, it's money. Maybe you thought you were finally gonna be the one in the family to buy the lake house and have the boat. You thought, I'm gonna be able to set myself up well for retirement, but then some sort of financial crisis hit and now you're struggling to make ends meet. Very different than the way you planned your life to go. For some of us in the room, maybe it's, maybe it's family. Maybe you thought that, that this is what my family is gonna look like, but now you're sitting at Thanksgiving and Christmas and there's someone who's not at the table anymore. Or maybe you thought, gosh, surely I would have had kids by now. Or surely my kids would st still be a part of my life. Or man, I just really thought that I'd be married at this point. That I would still be married. What I think all of us can relate to is, is happiness. Certainly none of us planned for 2020 and 2021 and 2022 to go the way that they have. Maybe you thought if I just have these other things then I'll be content and I'll be happy, but now you're sitting at your life looking back and that's not the case anymore. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I can check every single box on this list. My life is nothing like I planned it to be. I grew up, like I said, in Dublin, Georgia, a small town, and um, I really did grow up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school, and we weren't really like church people per se. We were more like priesters, which means we went to church on Christmas and Easter. But I found myself in the church as often as I could. Even if my family wasn't there on a Sunday morning, I was going to every vacation Bible school that I could in Dublin, which was like three I was always going to camps and going to retreats and going to mission trips. In fact, camp is the reason that I decided to follow Jesus. My life was pretty normal up until the sixth grade when my dad had a series of surgeries to correct some spinal cord issues that he had had from a wreck previous years before. And it ended up paralyzing him from the chest down. Not really something that you plan for. And because of the care that he required, we ended up having to move him to a rehab facility full time. And as you can probably imagine, I spent a lot of time around doctors and hospitals and nurses and, and all those kinds of things. And so while the season was very difficult, it also sprung up this passion in me to, to be a doctor. I wanted to study medicine. I had a passion for helping people through crisis. And so I decided I'm gonna go be a doctor and study regenerative medicine and find a cure for paralysis. But something else I found in that season was a lot of loneliness. 
because I realized that there weren't a ton of people who related to me. I had to grow up a lot faster than other kids my age. And so I felt like I had a really hard time making friends. So I became really independent. I just, I'm, I'm gonna figure it out on my own. I don't, I don't need anybody's help. And this kind of translated to my relationship with God too. It wasn't that I was like mad at God necessarily, but I just didn't think I needed him because I had YouTube so I could figure it out, right? Something else that I found in that season was a new passion for music. I've always loved music and entertaining people and performing, but I really found music as like a comfort, almost like a coping mechanism for me. And so I taught myself how to play the piano. And over the course of a few years, I got really good at it. And so I decided I would join our school's worship team, Christian school things. And I really didn't join it for the right reasons. If I'm honest, I was just doing it as like some sort of, of out of trying to get some of the feelings that I had as a middle school boy that I didn't know what to do with out of me. But, but I wasn't really doing it because I was worshiping God or I was leading anyone in worship. And so I got really frustrated with it and I quit. Fast forward a few years, I was a senior in high school and our school takes a retreat. They take the entire senior class to a camp, which is ironically the same one where I chose to follow Jesus. And while we were there, one of my teachers who worked with the worship team was like, hey, you should come back and lead worship with us again. And I was like, no, 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 like, like thanks for the offer, but I'm good. And he looked at me and he said, what if I buy you a new keyboard? And I was like, you should have started with that. That's, that's what we want. But I always play hard to get. And so I was like, you know what? Like, nah, I, don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Well, later that night, I had an encounter with God during one of the sessions. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I was wasting it. Like God had given me this passion and this gift and this ability. And I was kind of throwing it away. And so I went back up to my teacher later and I said, hey, I don't really want to come back but I feel like I'm supposed to. You see, the reason I'd really quit in the first place was because I got really tired of standing on stage trying to lead people in worship and they just stared at me like this. I don't know if you've ever tried to lead worship, but it's not easy when people look at you like they want to kill you. And so just remember that next time that you walk into this room as you're worshiping, it's okay to smile every now and then. It really helps, it does. So I got some of my friends together that were also on the worship team. We got together to practice the next week. And I remember looking at them and I was like, hey, if we're gonna do this, let's just do it. Like if we're gonna worship, let's just worship. And if no one else in the room is worshiping, that's fine. But let this be our way of worship. And, and that's what we did. And over that year, my senior year of high school, I don't really know how to explain it, except the room felt lighter. Like there was more joy in the room. People felt more freedom to, to actually worship and they weren't scared of what people thought of them anymore, some of them. You would hear people talking about God in the hallways, which you think would be normal to Christian school, but it was kind of a new thing. And I just remember looking back at that season of my life and it was the first time that I can remember saying yes to something that I didn't necessarily want to do, something I definitely didn't plan on doing, but I got to watch God do something that I didn't think was possible. And it clicked in my head that God wants to use me if I'll just say yes. Even when I'm doubtful or when I'm scared. So I graduated high school and I went to Georgia as a biology major because I still had this passion for like wanting to be a doctor and wanting to go into medicine and all the same things. But I also knew that I needed to find community. 
I didn't have a ton of friends coming from Dublin to Georgia. And so I was kind of looking around different things. One of my friends from home was like, hey, you should join this Christian fraternity. And I was like, absolutely not. Like that is the last thing that I want to do. First of all, because I've never heard Christian and fraternity used in the same sentence. (laughs) Second of all, because I was still dealing with this like insecurity thing because I kind of grew up without a dad. And so I didn't know how to do the things that most guys my age knew how to do. Like, I didn't know how to throw a football. I didn't know how to check the oil in my car. I didn't know how to turn on a grill, much less cook something edible on it. But I was kind of desperate for friends, so I just said yes. As I got to know some of the guys in the fraternity over the next few weeks and hear their stories, I realized there were a lot more people like me than I thought. There were a lot more guys who were walking around with this like unspoken insecurity because of the absence of a father, either emotionally or physically, And so we got together and we started this thing that we cleverly, not, called Man Club. (laughs) Super original. And so one Saturday a month, we would all get together and someone who knows a lot about something would teach the rest of us who knew nothing about it how to do it. And so we learned a lot of new things that we didn't know how to do before. And it was one of those things that I didn't know I needed it until I had it. Like it was healing things inside of me that I didn't know were broken because I'd shoved it all down. About a year later, one of my friends is like, hey, you should run for chaplain, which basically means I was gonna be the best Christian of the Christian fraternity. And so if I'm gonna be the best at something, count me in. Like that's just like, yeah, sign me up. I wanna be the best. So for the next year, I was chaplain of the fraternity and then I became president. And one of the projects I got to work on in those two years was this worship night that we called Campus United. And we would invite the campus to come. We'd have a couple hundred people come and worship with us. We would invite speakers to come in and talk about something relevant to college students. And there was one semester in particular where we could not find a speaker anywhere. We had called everyone. We had like begged everyone. We were like willing to pay money that we didn't have because we just, we didn't, we didn't know what to do. And we were sitting in a meeting about two weeks before and I just started sweating, (laughs) which is not like abnormal for me. Like I just like sweat a lot naturally, but this was like a same but different kind of sweat, like a Holy Spirit kind of sweat. Because I just felt like I was supposed to do it. And so once again, I said yes to doing something that I had no intention of doing. And I'll never forget the, the message that God put on my heart for that night. It was this idea of jump on two. It was actually something I'd learned in one of my psychology classes. It was this idea that the longer we take to make a risky decision, the less likely we are to do it. And so when God calls us to do something, the longer we take to try and talk ourselves out of it, the more that we're gonna back out and not actually do it, he says. And so instead of jumping on three, like we teach kids to do, one, two, three, jump, if you actually take one second off, you're more likely to just go for it. You probably see where this is going. And I guess I was like decent enough. And so people were coming up to me after and were like, hey, you're really good at this. I didn't know that you, you wanted to be a preacher. Like, hey, since this, when did you not want to go to medical school anymore? I didn't, I didn't know you wanted to go into ministry. Like, hey, like, like you're amazing at, at speaking. Like, have you ever thought about wanting to go to a seminary and learn how to study the Bible? But the problem was literally at the time I was studying for the medical college admissions test to get into medical school. And so I would just laugh and I was like, no, 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 that's not me. I, I'm going to medical school. You know, it's like what I've always wanted to do. It's been my plan all along. This could be like a fun hobby or something, you know? Fast forward a few months later, I was on a plane to Israel. I had this awesome opportunity to go to Israel with some guys from the same fraternity, but different colleges around the country. And 
Uh, on the way there, I was kind of talking to this guy next to me. I just met him. And we were talking about what was happening for us after college. Hey, what, what job are you going to have? Like, like, what's your plan? And I started processing all these thoughts because I couldn't shake the things that people were saying out of my head. And so I'm, I'm talking with him and I'm like, I just, I just, I feel this tension of like what I've always wanted to do, but then what people are saying I should do. And I just, I just don't know what to do. And he looked at me and he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, Jake, what makes your heart come alive? Like, like what's the thing that makes you feel like this is what you were made to do? What's the thing that when you're doing it, you get excited to wake up in the morning and it fires you up and there's nothing else you can see yourself doing? And as soon as he said it, I knew it was a medicine. I knew it was a medicine. I mean, the idea of having money sure made my heart come alive. It made my heart pound real fast. But what really made my heart come alive was the small groups I got to lead in my college ministry and the leadership positions I had in my fraternity and the volunteer opportunities I had in my church and the life on life I got to walk with guys who were a little younger than me who just needed some help along the way. But I was really struggling with that because I had just studied for months, I mean months, long months, to take this test to get into medical school and I had taken it and I had applied and I had interviewed and I had been accepted. Like the door was open to do what I'd wanted to do my entire life. Like, I did, like the thing that I was aiming for, I did it. The achiever in me was like, check, you did it, let's go. But I was wrestling with that because it just wasn't sitting quite right with me. And so I didn't really know what else to do. And so I opened up the Bible and I went to the book of Luke because Luke was a doctor turned missionary. So clearly he's gonna know what to tell me. And so I started reading through Luke and I got to chapter five. And Luke chapter five is when Jesus, he finds three disciples or later to be disciples, three fishermen, Peter, James, and John. And they have been fishing all night long. They had caught nothing, completely empty. And they had pulled their boats up on the shore and they were cleaning off their nets. They were done for the day. And then Jesus looks at them and he's like, hey, you should try again. And if I'm Peter, I'm like, there's no way. First of all, because this entire crowd of people had followed Jesus to the sea. They followed him everywhere. They had followed him. And they're now watching that these fishermen had just failed. <laughs> like they had caught nothing. I already look ridiculous. And now you want me to go and fish in the hottest part of the day? Like Jesus, if you were a fisherman, you would know that's not what you do. You're supposed to fish when it's cool, when it's dark, so the fish come to the surface. And when, the, when the sun comes up and it gets hot, they go back down to the bottom. We're not gonna catch anything. So I'm already looking ridiculous and now I'm gonna look even more ridiculous because it's not gonna know what I'm doing and you're gonna make me look stupid in front of my friends. He could have easily said no. In fact, I probably would have said no if I'm being honest. It was absurd. But we know that's not how the story goes because that's not a story worth telling. Like who wants to read a story about a group of fishermen who had caught nothing and then someone says, try again, they say no. No one. And so they're like, okay, we'll try it. So they take the boats back out and they throw the nets over, but this time they don't come up empty. In fact, this is what Luke writes, chapter five and verse six. And when they had done this, when they had thrown their nets over, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. Next verse. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
and that came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It's almost like the fish had figured out the system. They're like, hey, once the sun comes up, they'll take the boats back and then we're free to swim around wherever we want. We can get as close to the top as we want. Ah, you know, they got gut. Just like Nemo. And I can only imagine the fishermen are, are seeing this, they're pulling up the fish and, and, and they're like, I don't know what he just did, but I'm listening to him. Whatever he says goes because that's not supposed to happen. And so Jesus invites them to follow him. And, and, and I grew, grew up in church and I've heard the story. I grew up in a Christian school. I could have told you the story. But there was something about reading it this time that it, it hit me like it was the very first time. In fact, this is the way that Luke ends the story in chapter 11. He says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. They left everything to follow Jesus. They left their boats, their careers, their future security, this jackpot of fish that they had just caught, the whole reason they were in the sea in the first place. And I'm sure the crowd is watching and they're like, what are you doing? You're gonna leave everything? You're leaving behind your entire life, the thing that you know, the thing that you're really good at, this huge catch of fish. You guys are gonna be famous and you're gonna walk away from that? I call Peter's boat. You know, like, but they did. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what the future was gonna look like. But it didn't matter because they knew who they were following. And I remember reading this verse and I thought to myself, am I about to give up medical school to go do, I don't know. And I knew it sounded crazy. Like all of my friends who weren't Christians and honestly, some of my Christian friends were like, you're a wackadoodle. But when I looked back at my life, I just kept seeing all these little pieces, these pieces of the story, these things that, that I had never seen myself doing, these seats and positions I'd found myself in, these passions and these hobbies I'd had since I was a kid. And God was piecing it all together. And I just had this feeling that, that the plan that he had for my life was bigger and better than the one I'd written for myself. And I didn't want to miss it. You see, Peter and James and John, they chose to follow Jesus. They became three of the 12 core followers of Jesus. They saw every miracle. They heard every teaching that he did. But what if they would have stayed in the boat counting fish? They would have missed it. And I didn't want to miss it. But I also would be lying if I said I was like excited to give up everything I'd ever known in my life to be, everything I'd ever wanted to do. And it wasn't like I hated science and hated medicine. It was like I enjoyed it. I had a passion for it. I was good at it. But I also knew that there was this thing inside of me that, that just, I didn't want to miss what God had. And what if this isn't what God has? And so now I'm dealing with this tension of, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to pick the wrong thing and not be following God's plan for my life. I don't want to make the wrong decision and then do something that I wasn't supposed to do. Well, a few weeks later, Annie Downs, who is a Christian speaker and author, she came to our college ministry and she was talking about God's will for our lives, the plan that God has for our lives. And so we're all like, notebook open, pen out, tell us. 
what I do? And she said something that she actually stole from someone else, and now I'm going to steal it from her, stealing it from someone else. It's just a big bucket of Christian plagiarism. And I'll never forget it. She looked at us, and she said this. She said, God's will for your life is not a tightrope. It's not this like thin line that we have to walk. And if we lean too far one way, or if we take the wrong step, that we're out of it. Like God's plan for our lives, it's not that fragile. You don't have to force yourself to like make the right steps and do the right things and then be in God's plan. It is so much better than that. God's will for your life is not a tightrope. It's a river. And you just got to jump in. I don't know if you've ever been rafting or tubing before, but there's nothing you can do to stop that water. I've tried. It's gonna go where it wants to go. And I remembered hearing that and I just felt so much relief because I knew that God wasn't counting on me to not make a mistake. I mean, do you know how many mistakes Peter made when following Jesus? Peter, the loudmouth. Peter, the one who always said things that got him in trouble. Peter, the one who literally denied Jesus as he was being led to be crucified, who says, hey, I don't know him. I don't want anything to do with him. You've got the wrong guy. That Peter, that was the same Peter that God used to build the church. There's nothing that Peter could do to stop God from doing what he wanted to do in Peter's life. And the same was true for me and the same is true for you. And I realized for the first time that God actually wasn't relying on me to do something. He was inviting me into something. Like God didn't need me to do anything. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And what he wants to do is he wants to use me. And he just wants me to say yes to whatever's in front of me. Even when it's scary, even when I can't see the next thing. So I decided that I would take my own advice. And I jumped on two. I withdrew from medical school and I started the North Point residency, which means I was working part-time at one of our North Point Atlanta area campuses and going to school full-time to seminary to study the Bible and learn how to teach it to people. And somehow along the way, I ended up here. I'm having the time of my life. In fact, there are some Sundays I find myself leaving inside out on Sunday nights and I'm just in disbelief that this is my job. I couldn't have written this story better if I tried. Because in the moment, I didn't see what God was doing with all these little pieces. I didn't know where he was going with this thing. But he did all along. Even when I was being rebellious and trying to do my own thing, like God knew where the story was going. It reminds me of a verse in Proverbs 16 that says this. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Like it's okay in your life to have a plan. Peter had a plan. I had a plan. We all have plans. But what happens if the plan that God has is different than yours? What happens when God wants to establish a step that you don't want to take? What happens when your plans fall out and your life ends up nothing like you thought it would be? 
I've just realized that the, the tighter that I hold on to my plans, the more frustrated I'm going to be when God's plans aren't the same. P.S. They're usually not. They're so much better. The river is better. And one of the things in my life that I found to be true about the river, the best part to me about the river is that there are other people in it with you too. You know how like when you're rafting and tubing, sometimes you get stuck on like a rock or in a rapid or like a really big branch. And you just need somebody to come behind you and pull you out. There are other people who are following Jesus too that are saying yes to him. And God's gonna send those people down the river to help you out. In fact, I had one of these moments my junior year of college. Um, my dad had gotten really sick. And... Um, we had been praying for a really long time that God would heal him. And a bunch of people were praying with us and, and we spent a couple weeks at the hospital and then eventually his body just decided to stop fighting it and he passed away. And I remember on the day of his funeral, I couldn't even hold myself up. I felt stuck. I felt really alone. No one understood me. I felt like God had somehow forgotten me because he was too busy remembering everybody else. It's definitely not the plan that I had. But then there's this group of guys that showed up that drove over three hours to be with me and my family they were the guys from that fraternity I didn't want to be a part of. And I don't remember anything that they, they said to me. I don't remember a single word, but I will never forget how close God felt that day. I keep this picture with me. This was the first time in my entire life that I had felt the tangible love of God. Well, except for maybe Grayson. He doesn't really do physical touch. But when I look at this picture, all I see is the faithfulness of God. Because I didn't join that fraternity my freshman year because I knew that down the road my dad was going to pass away and I was going to need people there to support me. I didn't know. But God did. I just said yes to what was in front of me. The thing I felt like I was supposed to do. I just think sometimes we get so caught up do I take this job? Do I not? Do I move my family? Do I not? Do I take out this loan? Do I not? Do I marry this person? Do I not? And, and, and I think Jesus cares about those things, but, but God's got it. And when I look at this picture, I'm like, he's gonna take care of me. And even better than him just taking care of me, he's gonna weave it all together. And he's gonna write a beautiful story that we never could have written for ourselves. Even the pieces we don't like, even the places we didn't want to go, even the moments when we didn't understand, he's got it. One of the coolest things I've been able to do since my dad passed away was get to, to love on some people who were walking through the same thing. In fact, the summer after my dad passed away, I was actually working at the summer camp that I chose to follow Jesus at. 
and this girl showed up and, and her mom had passed away a couple weeks before. And I got to help her counselor walk her through that. Fast forward a few months, I moved to Atlanta to work at Woodstock City Church as part of the residency with high school students. And the week that I get there, two or three of our high school students, their mom passed away from cancer. And I got to help walk through that with, with one of the guys and I couldn't have written that. I didn't plan that. God did. You see, Jesus didn't ask Peter and James and John to throw their boats overboard and, and to go fish again because he cared about the fish. He didn't care about the fish. He made the fish. He's got fish. He just cared about their yes. He cared about them being willing to leave it all behind and just say yes to follow him. I don't think Jesus really cared that much about my career. He cared a lot more about my availability. He cared so much more about, about me being willing to say, here I am, God. I'll leave my plans at your feet. I'll leave it behind. I'll pull all of it to shore and just do what you want me to do. That's why I have this tattoo on my arm in case you've been wondering, it's a sailboat. Because I never want to forget how worth it it is to pull my plans to shore and just say, God, I'm in. I just want to follow you. I just don't want us to get so caught up in the way that we expect our life to go that we miss the beautiful story that he's writing with us. He knows we're gonna make a mistake. Don't worry about that. He knows we're not gonna get it all right. And yet he said yes to us anyway. When he sent Jesus to die and then be raised again three days later from the grave so that you and I can have a relationship with him, he said yes to us. And he just wants us to say yes back. Whatever it looks like. It's not a tightrope. It's a river. You just gotta jump in.